0: Hey, everybody. Todd here. We're in the middle of the Olympics. I'm watching a ton of like trampoline people jumping around on trampolines, BMX bike guys, swimmers. Every time you turn on the T, there's swimmers everywhere. They, they, they need to actually spray for swimmers. That's how many swimmers are there. And it made me think, well, let's go back and kind of visit the Hall of Champions. So I picked a podcast to play for you from 2018. This is Eric hall Nagle. And I love this podcast, and you will too. If you don't remember it, it's fine. If you do, it's a great chance to listen again. Here is a replay of Eric Hall Nagel from 2018, just for the summer of 2021. Howdy, everybody. It's Todd Conklin, and this is the Pre-Accident Podcast. How are you today? Good, I hope. Hey, it's a big show. This will be kind of exciting. Uh, if you've not heard of or ever been a part of a discussion around uh, the ETO principle, E-T-T-O, Efficiency thoroughness, Trade-Off, or Safety 1, Safety 2, or the FRAM, the Functional Residence Model, or, God, I could just go on for months, months, I tell you, then if you haven't ever had those kind of conversations today's going to be a really exciting day for you because everything's going to be new and shiny like a penny found on the street if you have you're probably even more excited because if you had had these conversations today you're going to get to talk to somebody who uh is just quite amazing eric Hallnagel, and eric is um a just a fine human being let's start with there and I didn't think I would get him on the podcast, but I kind of tricked him. I'm not saying I blackmailed him. I tricked him. It's more, it's, it's less severe than blackmail, but he had to introduce me at a conference a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, he asked me to write some things down for the introduction. And I said, I'd love to, I'll give them to you when we record a podcast. And, uh, he fell for it. I mean, it's totally fell for it. Just hook, line and sinker. Boom. I had him. So that is how that started, and we'll get to that in a minute. Let's bring you up on the speed of light in the world around us. It's, it's um, you know, it's an exciting day. I've had uh, tremendous amounts of things go on and many things to talk to you about. But probably the big one I should talk to you about is the power of resilience. And the reason I'm going to tell you about the power of resilience is because I spilt... Not a Coke, uh, not a Diet Coke, but in fact a Coke Zero Sugar. Uh, pretty much a full-blown Coke Zero Sugar. I spilled from the little plastic tray on the back of the airline seat into my briefcase. And luckily for me, my briefcase was holding my computer. And luckily for me, my computer was standing upright. So like on the skinny end, it was standing up because, you know, it was in the briefcase. And even more luckily for me, I'd put the top of the case, not the keyboard where the clamshell closes, but the back hinge where the vents are for cooling the laptop. So when I did spill that Coke Zero sugar, it did travel into my briefcase and directly down into my computer. Yes, it's true. I lost it all. It was gone. It was a sad day for my computer. Oh, so sad. And uh, it's kind of non-recoverable, although I did take it to the computer place because they said it's worth taking it to the computer place. But I'm pretty sure if the Coke can live through... I mean, well, I'm sure the Coke lived. If the uh, if the computer lives through the Coke Zero Sugar um, bath, I will be amazed. Because not a lot... I mean, it's just one of those little... You know, it's an airplane. You've been on a million of them. One of those little plastic cups on that little tray. And see, you probably can just lean that tray out and casually work on it. For me, I have to kind of suck in a little to bring the tray down. And I moved around, and it turned the tray, and it went up. And you can write the ending. I kind of wish that the Coke would have gone in the magazine pocket. Because I don't really own the magazine pocket, nor do I care much about it. But alas, it went into my briefcase. But there's good news. Yes, I have good news for you. And the good news is is uh, I back it up. And that is the power of resilience. I can't control when uh, I'm going to spill a Coke in my briefcase, clearly. I think I've proven that beyond a shadow of a doubt. That, that I clearly cannot control. But what I can control is my response to a Coke being spilled in my briefcase and my response was that I had a backup and uh, I had to get a new computer you knew that was coming and I plugged it into the little thing and it said do you want to start new or do you want to copy off your old computer and I clicked copy off your old computer and 45 minutes probably not even that long I'm probably, I probably made that up a little period of time let's say 45 minutes that's kind of an estimate later uh, it looked just like my last computer it was just uh you know uh, a little bit uh I lost some notes that I'd taken, and that's uh and I lost an article I brought down about the school bus driver uh in Chattanooga and but I think I can still find it because I was really interested in uh that school bus driver because they're saying he was on the phone, but he's saying he was not on the phone. there was another truck involved, so it's getting the stories now starting to build um around culpability. Well, it's already, I would say, built around culpability, but now it's starting to, it's moving into sort of lawyer speaking. So that's interesting as well. That is my giant story. That took a long time to tell. Um, but the the good news is the reason I'm not so upset about it, and I'm really not, It's it's just a computer, right? Is I think because it was backed up. And that really is that emphasis around the notion of resilience that I think makes the biggest difference in the world. So that is kind of what we're going to talk about. Now, to get started on this podcast, I'm going to jump right in because I've, I've already probably taken too much of your time telling that stupid story. Eric and I sat down, um, and the first thing I ask him is, what's the future look like? Which is normally a question I kind of save till the end. But I was really curious to see what he had to say. So, let's jump into this uh, podcast. This is Eric Hallnagel and uh, Todd Conklin on the Pre-Accident Podcast. Listen carefully, because the first thing he's gonna say is kind of what he's thinking about is happening next. Well,
1: in the next three or four years, I don't think we'll see much real difference, you see growing interest, but I mean, if you see it playing out in the sense of having an impact, you're talking 10, 15 years, or, or even more, if you look at the, the paradigms that we have now, I don't know where it will be going, I know what I'm interested in is, is uh, to... Uh, Actually, try and get rid of the word safety and the term safety, and and to look at, at system performance. Uh, safety is an aspect of system performance, but it, I'm interested in how systems, organizations, function, uh, and 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 to understand that functioning and to be able to manage that functioning. And safety in the classical sense is. It's a part of that, but so is quality, so is sustainability, so is customer satisfaction, so is uh, efficiency, so is environmental impact. Or I mean, there's so many things that are part of that, and we need. um, I
0: want to see them together and want to understand how they work together. But isn't that close to sort of blasphemous? I mean, doesn't does that? Do you get pushback when you talk about that outside of the academy? Uh, actually i don't talk
1: much about it in the academy <laughs> 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 I'm not really an academic, not any anymore but uh no, in fact I, I people are very interested in that because I think i mean you you must have seen that yourself that that people get feel that they are stuck in silos and and they treat safety as if it, you could treat it isolated from whatever else happens in a, in an organization and and we all know you can't. And it's just that we don't have the concepts and the terminology and the ideas really to bind it all together, and I think that's what I, that's for me what's interesting, and and what I'm trying in my own feeble way to to work a little at. But I don't know whether that's where it's going. I, I do see we haven't healthcare had over the last. Uh, conferences in resilient healthcare a number of papers that sort of try to dissolve the difference between quality and safety uh, and I think that's certainly the right way to go
0: tell us about your journey how did you get to to where you are what what led you to think about these ideas uh, that's that's a question I find very difficult to
1: answer because the the honest answer is it just happened I mean it's it wasn't a journey. As in, well, in retrospect, you, yes, you can see I have sailed these waves and, and changed course here and there. But it wasn't preplanned or in, or in any way. It just happened.
0: What What started your interest? I mean, what 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 made it start to happen? Did, was there an accident? Did somebody include you in a failure? I mean, where this Where this kind of take its origin? Um. Hard
1: to say. I mean, I, I of course, I was working with the nuclear control room design and human machine systems when Three Mile Island happened, of course, and that focused everybody's interest in a certain direction. And uh, as a psychologist, I was always a bit skeptical about the idea of human error as, as a a separate cause and a special cause, and and looking at, at things that go wrong all the time. Uh, so I think it's more or less that by working with the issues and by talking with with discussing with colleagues, good colleagues. I mean, one of the people I met in I think before TMI's in seventy eight was was David Woods, and he was a young, brash boy at the time, and we had a lot of interesting discussions. And I think talking with David, talking with other people, uh, and and hearing that, and sort of when you sit down and talk, you say, well, what about this, and what about that, and could it be, and it gradually starts to develop, and you you think that you find that some things are interesting, other things aren't, and you you follow that, and it's... uh, a I mean, it ends. It ended here. It could have ended anywhere else. And,
0: and, uh, so it, it's just serendipity, really. So you could be like a really famous author around baking cakes if cakes would have been the serendipitous outcome of of this outcome. Uh, probably. I like I like making
1: cakes actually. I haven't created any any, any new cakes on my own, but I, I like I like to bake cakes yeah, and, and and pastry, but. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you asked me 10 years ago or even certainly 20 years ago, where would I be today, I would never have said I would be sitting here and and talking to you. I wouldn't even have known who you were. And uh, I wouldn't have known this world. And and it it just happened. I mean, It's not not planned in
0: any sense. And yet you've had this remarkable impact. I mean, and you know this, although you you may not know, but the impact you've had has been – very powerful in really starting a conversation, at least in industry, around the, the trade-offs between being efficient and being thorough, being safe and being productive. And what's so interesting about that is is I think that's always existed, but I think you brought it to the conversation in a way that allowed both operations people and academics to come together and, and see a ray of light that notion of that trade off has has i think really changed the way we look at reliable systems and and that's powerful what started all that i mean was that a bolt of lightning one day or <laughs> well it's the same hands as has before
1: i don't really know it's uh, when I, I i should say what I, what i'm probably trying to do all the time try- time is trying to make sense out of things for myself. And uh, so then I think I understand what's going on. And, and this idea about the trade off is, is, of course, very old in psychology. And, and it just turned out to me that this seems like a useful thing. And I, I noticed that I work with people, work with the industries. And, and, and it's just like you, you get an idea and you begin to look for it and you suddenly see it everywhere and that's where you have to be a bit cautious because it shouldn't take over and it, because it is just an idea it's not, it's not a psychological mechanism it's just a convenient way of describing things and, and any convenient way of describing things will capture something that's essential and, and throw away things that also potentially could be essential and that's why you have to be, very, to be very careful all the time about how you describe things so it, but again it it don't ask me how how I came to think about that it it just uh, you know happened some someday for some reason I may have read something somewhere or heard something,
0: or I don't know that I think is the amazing part of it is that is that that is i think you hit on it perfectly it's it's the way you see the world, and I think what you bring to the table or to the discussion. Is a is a is a very very interesting worldview, and that's that's I mean you, it's really apparent when you read your books the the writing you've done I mean um, the remarkable way you really try to look at complexity and the way you look at sort of causation models it's been really powerful and really you're kind of a um, maybe a one man campaign. To sort of expand the world's understanding of cause, has that served you well, or has that been a, a, a rough, a, a rough road to hoe? Um, I'm, 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 I'm really not. I don't feel I'm,
1: I'm uh, on a campaign to do anything. Sometimes I do feel I'm, I'm a one man. Uh, I'm a bit alone. not quite alone, because others think and and act in the same way, but. I'm not really trying to to make a campaign for anything as I said and this is really honest, I really try to understand things myself to make to make sense of things myself and and, and the world what whatever happens in the world and and that needs sometimes concepts and ideas that I can't find and then I stumble upon them or um, I mean or we talked about. Uh, apropos podcasts and reading, and I mean, I've read a lot. I still read a lot, and I think a lot of what I've read over the years, it is there in the back of my mind. And and the mind works in a in a weird and wonderful way. And I, you know, you read something else, and something clicks, and say, "That's isn't that a bit like?" It uh, reminds you of, and then something pops up. You can't really explain it; it just happens. And uh, but I think you think you can. I won't even say I prepare it, but I. I I have a pleasure in in reading many different things, many different sciences of, of books of all kinds, and and I think there are sort of knockets there that that uh, I mean one one thing one thing the term I, I've used and many others have used is what what uh, what you look for is what you find, but sometimes what you look for is not what you consciously look for, but you still look for it because the brain has this ability to to relate what. You perceive to what's in there, even though you can't remember what's in there. And then sometimes uh, sort of a little signal pops up and you and uh, you work a bit on it and it turns out to be useful and, and that's how it works. but
0: I mean it's it's a mystery to me if If you were to advise people um, the books that you've written to read, what do you think you'd have them read? What, what are the books that you think are m- – you're most proud of, you're, 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 m- you're most effective with?
1: That's a good question, I know. That, that's that's an unfair question. I, uh, well, uh, you mentioned the Eto principle and I, and I think that – I'm pretty proud of that. I think that's a, that was a. A neat way of formulating an idea that had been existing for a long time, and, and others have thought of before, but 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 being fortunate to be able to come up with examples uh, to illustrate that, I think that's very important when you when you write something to be able to illustrate it. So I think the the other principle is something I, I, I feel it's is is a nice piece of work. Uh, the um, And I mean, the the two other ones that are really, I don't want to say I'm proud of them, but I really think are are decent works are Fram and uh, and Safety 1 and Safety 2. I think Fram in particular, Safety 1 and Safety 2 is not that original because this idea about you can look at things in different ways has been around for many times, and and the ideas of frame, of course, has also been around, but, but not sort of put together in a single place before. And I think that that's is perhaps a bit original, but but I'm not sure how much. But and, and frame is something I'm still working on, it's still developing, it's still being being extended. I
0: think your framework, at least for my career at uh, at the national laboratories in the United States, that book changed the way we really thought about learning technically across the board it was it was a it was a powerful tool for us and the timing seemed really right and it really was as odd as this sounds at the time it was it was somewhat controversial to to to, to talk about cause other than sort of monocausal phenomena and and that surprises me but maybe it surprises me just because we've because of work you've done and others like you we've sort of moved beyond the fallacy of monocausality but it's it's a it's a powerful force and you see it in industry i mean th- that's that's what we try to tackle um, what advice would you give a a person who's who's managing work who's who's actually out in the field doing this new work what would you tell them to think about or to listen to or to read.
1: Ah, uh, well. well I want you, can I just come back to one, one, one thing you said? Absolutely. Uh, uh, the word timing. I mean, and, and because I think maybe I've just been lucky I've come up with some ideas and the environment has been receptive to them. Others have come up with the same ideas at a time when the environment was not receptive to them. So it's very much about Timing—you sort of the right right thought at the right time, and and you can't control that. That's just sheer luck that 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 it happens. Uh,
0: Well, if I may, I I would also suggest that um, the way you package the ideas and the way you create uh, analogies and discussions and case studies and examples, I think actually makes these rather esoteric concepts more impactful i think that's one thing you bring to the field is is a remarkable way to to look at pretty woolly ideas and make them have realistic applications well i'm 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 flattered that you
1: say so it's uh, as i said i'm really trying to explain it to myself to make it understandable to myself and, and and of course by doing that you can hopefully also make it understandable to others so but it's uh i've always admired people who write jim reason in particularly who writes really really well and it's uh i, I still admire his writing and and uh, and there are a lot of other people who don't write so well i shan't mention the names here but uh uh it it's i think i've just been lucky that i have the ability to write in an understandable way i mean that's i don't know how it happened but that, that that's how it is but to come back to your question um there there is a, a famous uh samurai in, in japan called miyamoto musashi who in the, in the 17th century and uh, was sort of the the uh, undisputed master and and, and uh, ended his life peacefully as as a uh, as a Zen philosopher or Zen monk and he wrote a book which has been translated into English is quite famous it's called the book of five rings uh which is and it's been used on wall street sort of a management bible also but he made some observations about uh, what you need to do to be able to be successful, uh, in, in his case, as, as, uh, as in the salt fight, but in general also. And one of the advices he gives is to perceive the things that cannot be seen. And I think that's what I think a good manager should do. He should perceive the things that cannot be seen, that is the things that are not obvious uh, or do not attract attention by themselves, but which are still there, which are sort of hidden in the background, because they can be very, very important. And I think that that's a skill you have to learn to And again, to come back to the etude, that's an efficiency, efficiency, thoroughness trade-off, because you have to spend some time looking at things that seemingly are unimportant, but which which actually, in many cases, turn out to be very important. So in the long run, the the uh, the, the efficiency is reduced. By spending time on that, but in sorry, in the short run, the efficiency is is reduced because you spend time on, on being more thorough. But in the long run, it actually improves efficiency to do that. And, and I say, so that that would be if you, and I don't like giving advice to people about what they should do. I mean, but but to me, that 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 the advice of, of Musashi to perceive the things that cannot be seen is really important, and sort of looking at the things that. Often stare you in the eye, and and are so obvious that you miss them, and you have to sort of question yourself all the time and say, I'm a, "What am I really doing here? What am I looking at?"
0: That's phenomenal. What's your next book going to be about? Uh,
1: I I don't have any firm plans for a next book. It may may happen, may not happen. Well, I I mean. Yeah, there there is a series of books we have been doing on resilient healthcare, and that that seems to be going on. I just completed editing the fourth book, and and we are in the process of working on on the fifth book. But that's that's sort of a a, a collective uh, uh, effort. And uh, perhaps you're asking whether I would do a monograph myself, and uh, I'm. If, if time permits and if I can find a way of doing it, maybe what, what we talked about in the beginning, the, the development of, of, of safety too, sort of getting, getting towards a, an understanding of how an organization works, which is not tied up to specific issues or criteria, such as safety and quality and efficiency, but it looks at the whole. In, in, in another way. That's, that's why I I've, I've, I'd like the term that I use safety synthesis because I think I don't like safety so much now, but I like synthesis because I think it's a synthesis that we need to achieve and we need to understand we need to, to work it. So maybe something
0: along those lines. Who knows? I think you're right. I think safety as a term is probably carried about as much water as it can carry and is no longer really it no longer aligns with the way that we currently think about sort of reliable operations or reliable systems. Why do you think healthcare is so slow to come around to the new view?
1: Uh, oh, I don't know why. I mean, are they slow in coming around to to this view? They it, it I think healthcare has always been about being careful and making sure that nothing happens to patients, that that's a part of the Hippocratic Oath. Mm-hmm. First of all, do no harm. That's what it says. Uh, so that's 2,000 years old, so you can't really say that's slow.
0: <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um,
1: but then then I think they have been – healthcare has been a system that worked under its own conditions for a long, long time, and then – only maybe about 50, 60 years ago, it started to be be more tightly coupled to other aspects of society and, and, and it started to, to get the focus of of society and authorities also because it started to become more and more expensive and then people are more and more concerned and then the pressure came on the Institute of Medicine report on, on uh, to errors human and, and, and uh, stuff like that. And then the pressure was there and then as in every other industry when the pressure suddenly comes on, like nuclear, after TMI, like aviation and a number of cases, they sort of rush around like crazy and look for solutions wherever they can and they borrow solutions from others and and apply them. And usually they don't work because they're not designed for that specific purpose. So healthcare is in that situation now, but I think if if... It's partly because of the
0: external pressure that came for any number of reasons. I find that really interesting, this idea that they borrow solutions from other industries and they don't work because they're not designed to work in that industry. That That's actually a really good example, at least in the United States, of kind of where healthcare currently is around. I mean, but their failure, is quite remarkable. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine the system getting worse
1: yeah well, yeah well, but again, I think it's wrong to talk about the failure rate because you, you realize what they they are facing an incredibly complex situation and and uh, very often they they compare themselves and other compare healthcare with aviation, but that that's that's really unfair because I mean if every patient was standardized the same way that the aircraft are, then, of course, it would be a lot better in healthcare, but, but they aren't. And, and we tend to look at aviation and say, look at it, it's great, it's uh, the probability of of fatality uh, is it one in seven million or one in 14 million or whatever. Um, but if you look at the statistics for damage or misdirected luggage, it's one in 350, which is much closer to what hospitals are. So we so it depends on which, which kind of numbers you look at. Uh, so and I'm not saying healthcare couldn't do better; it could do, do a lot better. But it, you also need to understand how incredibly complex the situation is, and how completely com, how constrained it is in terms of resources and demands. and And what they experience is the an, an a onslaught of new technology. Constantly, which means they never have time to learn and to get the system to work. They never reach an equilibrium. They're always disturbed. Uh, whereas most other industries, uh, certainly aviation, reach an equilibrium state. And then there's a new technology in healthcare. It's, it's sort of not, not daily, but weekly, monthly. Things change all the time. And you never have a chance to learn. And you can never become, start really to work on reducing the number of things that go
0: wrong. What do you think? Wasn't that great? It was really a great conversation, um, and I thank him so much. I, I really appreciate him taking the time to do this, and it really is something he doesn't have to do for sure. And and nor does he see himself as kind of a podcaster, video kind of person. But uh, I, I just think this opportunity was was worth its weight in gold, and I want to especially thank um, Eric and chevron for uh supporting him on his journey over here and for allowing me some time to sort of take him away and um everybody else that was involved with uh with this adventure it was completely worth it but mostly i want to thank you thanks for listening thanks for tuning in the numbers are kind of nutty and i can't do it without you that's for sure Uh, Tell your friends, subscribe. That seems to make some kind of weird difference. Uh, Write a review. This is an Eric Hollenagle podcast. Where else are you going to find that? Just saying. That's all I'm doing is just saying. But until then, learn something new every single day. And I'll bet you did today. I'll bet you nickel you did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. And for goodness sakes, be safe. (laughs)